hear something. Give it a sec and rock and roll. All right. Hello, and welcome to this edition of EMS Now Up Close. I'm Eric Miskell with EMS Now, and today I get to visit again with Freedom, uh, a distributor based out of Florida, global distributor. Um, I have today both John McKay, President of Sales, and John McGee, Vice President of Sales. Um, thank you for your I never know whether to say left or right or how it appears on the screen, so thank you <laughs> for acknowledging yeah. there. Um Let's begin by giving people an overview of Freedom, um, your location, your reach, what you cover, your business model. So you jump right in on that. All right. And so we're uh, we're based out of uh, uh, Tampa, Florida area. Um, global presence. Uh, you know, we have office in uh, uh, Asia region. Um, we have office in European region, and we just expanded our footprint here in Florida. Um, added another uh, almost 20,000 square foot of warehousing um, that we're going live with really in October here. Uh, it's been under renovation since, uh, you know, part of last year. Um, all with the position to really kind of, you know, grow our, our presence in the market and service more customers. Um, you know, Freedom in general, been in business since 1999. And, you know, a lot of what we're hoping to do is uh, we want to expand to service more customers, right? So we're actively adding salespeople. Um, we've hired almost 15 new sales reps this year, um, you know, onboarding them, um, you know, tell them uh, or showing them how we do things so that we can service more customers. Um, you know, Freedom in general really believes in a real personal touch uh, when it comes to, you know, servicing customers. And uh, we get a lot of positive feedback from customers uh, you know, that they get to consistently talk to the same inside person over the phone, via email, um, and they really feel that we're making an effort to provide quality service. And talk about the certifications that you have as well, because you have. Yeah, so so Freedom uh, fully ISO certified, right? So we uh, probably about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, we got AS9120, which is the distribution aerospace spec. Um, recently, we're really proud of, we just got uh, ISO 13485 for medical devices. Um, you know, companies like us, some of our competitors, um, I think we're the first company to, you know, move forward with that. Um, we've really carved out a nice niche in the medical market. Um, so it just gives uh, that customer base more confidence uh, that we have all the processes in place to support their business. Um, and really help them, you know, grow and uh, grow and service their customers as well. Um, and we're currently working on additional uh, 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 certifications, including uh, DLA. So we'll be fully government certified before the end of the year. And military security. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Sixty eighty one, right from a, a, a military, um, you know, quality standpoint there as well. So, you know, we what we believe in is continue to kind of challenge our quality system to make sure. Um, it can service a variety of sectors. Um, and, you know, we want to uh, show customers that we're doing the diligence to be uh, the kind of supplier they expect us to be. Yeah. And that's a good point there with the, with the, uh, uh, with the concern about uh, especially uh, counterfeit components getting into the supply base. You know, you hear stories occasionally uh, about those types of things. So I speak to the quality programs that you have in the inspection. What you do a little bit of that? Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. <laughs> all right, we're we're all being shy here. 
Yeah. So, you know, the reality is, is that it is a big concern and it should be, you know, for customers. Um, what I would tell you is that the biggest issue we see is that companies do what they say they don't do. Um, and that is they don't really do the diligence sometimes on the partners that they're going to work with. Um, we've seen customers over the last couple of years, you know, when, when product was very tight, um, really take some risks and chances, you know, Googling, you know, to find components, um, not really going to visit the vendors and understand their certifications. And unfortunately, when that happens, um, there's, you know, somebody's going to get burnt and some of it can be very high profile. You know, there, there's no guarantees that, you know, that you'll never have a, a you know, part that is even substandard, forget the word counterfeit for a second. You know, just say it happens to not solder well, as an example, right? Or the factory, you know, they still have PPMs on parts, right? So, you know, if you ship a million pieces, two of them could be dead on arrival. Um, so, you know, you still have to be able to uh, have the quality processes to manage that, uh, to, to save the documentation for customers, right, for as long as they need. You know, they may have product out in the field for years and years, right? We need to be able to show uh, the legacy of the components and all those things. So, you know, our, our process has proven to be very robust in that area. And some of it really comes down to managing our supply chain really effectively. Um, you know, it's it's not only who you buy from, it's who you don't buy from is, is really the, the tagline. And again, we John and I have both seen customers who say they never do certain things when revenue is at stake. Sometimes they, they take a few risks that maybe they shouldn't. And, you know, parts get into the supply chain that shouldn't. And, right, that's a problem for all of us. Excellent. Thank you. And, uh, you know, one of the issues, and you've kind of alluded to it, is your value proposition there. How how do you, what is that value proposition? Especially, you know, you're competing with the large franchise distributors as well, right? So how, what is well, yeah. your value proposition in, in, uh, in that sense? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Eric. I, uh, it, it's interesting, right? The the top handful of uh, franchise distributors in the world, right? They're you're talking about, you know, uh, two hundred billion dollars, some some sort of top level number like that, right? So, <clears throat> in some cases, you know, people might not think that we compete with them, but we do because that's where a lot of the transactions exist today. You know, so we're working with customers who are either you know, maybe we have a, a more personalized service touch, or maybe they feel a little left behind by some of those large enterprises, right, where they don't get uh, inventory support, um, you know, they don't have a consistent person to talk to, uh, those sort of things. And and frankly, over the last year, um, the major shift in the way that a lot of those companies approach the customers, right, they started instituting a lot more non-cancelable, non-returnables in the marketplace, there was a lot of concern by the factories that double ordering was going on, you know, during the COVID years. And they started being very aggressive with that. And, you know, I visited a dozen customers in the Midwest last week. And the common theme is that, you know, they're being quoted deliveries for March and April next year, being asked to sign an NCNR, and then parts are coming available in three or four weeks and they're shipping the parts um, directly to the customer. So, you know, we're finding customers that are starting to have working capital issues uh, because of it. Um, it's not excess as in obsolete excess, but, you know, they may have a year's worth of inventory on some of their core components, you know, because they had to buy what they had to, you know, in other sources. And they wanted to be back in, quote unquote, the standard supply chain. 
But uh, the reality is, is that the standard supply chain isn't scheduling that material. They're basically shipping it when it shows up. So part of our value proposition, right? We're a privately held company. We really thrive on trying to be customers. And a big piece of it is if we told you that the parts are going to be due in March and you gave us that order um, and the parts showed up, we would reach out and say, hey, they're here now. Do you need them now? If not, we're going to still schedule them for March. Um, you know, we want to have that ability to do it. And it seems like our large competitors are not doing that these days. They're forcing, you know, inventory on the customers and it's really creating a variety of other issues, um, you know, that it's going to shake itself out, I think, throughout 2024. So, you know, the, the value prop where there used to be this huge divide between franchise and, you know, independent distribution, I think it's not there anymore. You know, if you're a quality, you know, business like us, um, you know, who really is trying to provide services for customers. I, I think there's hardly a gap there at all. And it's really just about, you know, being engaged enough to understand their needs and, you know, where can we help? Um, and again, we have this really innate, uh, you know, want to do uh, flexible things for them. Uh, you know, cost mm -hmm. of deferring the cost of ownership, right, from a financial standpoint is huge. And really just the flexibility of even having the inventory physically in a stocking position. So if they do need it sooner, or if they do need to push it out, you know, by a couple months, you know, we have the ability to do those things. And it's it's really proving itself to provide a lot of value. And, and, and we're also, we're, we're trying not to, you know, make everything NCNR. A lot of the negative feedback I think that we get is, you know, they're like, hey, we hate signing these NCNRs. <clears throat> and we we put those in place, not necessarily to you know, hurt the customer, but to protect us. Because if the standard cost is $10, I'm quoting you 90, I can't get stuck with those parts, right? So we're not an insurance company. But if it's a 40-week lead time part and it's a $10 part, we're not going to hit you with NCNR. We're going to try to be flexible, let you push-pull to you know accommodate your schedule. And the franchise distributors, in most cases, aren't doing that. And most of the conversations we're having with customers right now are saying, hey, I need net 120 terms. And I'm like, why? We're in the middle of allocation. Why should I give you those type of terms? Like, because we don't have any working capital right now. The you know, manufacturers are forcing us to take parts that we didn't think we were going to get and we're stuck. And that's what's really caused the slow moving inventory. It's not that there's no demand, there's just too much product at the time. And so we're going to have to wait for some time for that to kind of catch up. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that when I did the tour of uh, the EMS in Europe here uh, earlier this year, with 20 of them. I mean, the inventory overhang is choking some of these companies, right? It's upwards of, I think the average in Europe was around 30% of, of revenue being held, goes as high as 50%, which, you know, inhibits their ability to do other necessary investments, expansion, you know, equipment, those types of things, right? Uh, and they're yeah. just sitting around waiting for those kind of golden screws to come in so they can kind of flush some of it out. And uh, and the NCNR is something that people are are super sensitive to, as you know. So they are. And it, it's really become, um, you know, the kind of issue where the customers are confused. They don't know what the lead times are anymore. Right. Because they're still being quoted fairly lengthy lead time, you know, 30, 40 weeks. Yet inventory showing up in a, a month, six weeks. Um, you know, and I think not to be cynical, a lot of the factories want to see that long-term visibility from their customers, right? If you can get a forecast for half a year or three quarters of a year from your customers, right? That's good for your business. But at the same point, <clears throat> you know, the, I think the customers are are struggling with, well, am I, am I placing an order 
for delivery in April or am I being told I got to take it no matter what? And in the short term, it seems like they're being, you know, the parts are showing up and they're having to take them and, you know, deal with the invoicing that comes with that and everything. So, yeah, it's definitely upset the apple cart a little bit. Yeah. You know, you've we've touched on a variety of issues there. Let me kind of step back and just ask, how do you assess the current state of the market, you know, for, for material supply chain? Is uh, is it improving? Is it slowing? Is it uh, how do you characterize it? What are you seeing? I think, you know, I think the problem is there's still uh, long lead times on a lot of different product. And, you know, I don't think you're going to ever see, you know, 12 to 16 week lead times for a while. Um, I think the manufacturers like keeping the lead times out there because they have better understanding of the true demand. But customers are still building, but they can't get certain parts, as you referred to the, the golden screw. So they, they're, they're kind of waiting for that one part to come in. Um, I think that, you know, one of the large franchise distributors that was just acquired has been treading water for a long time, not buying any inventory. So they weren't really a viable source for a lot of customers. So a lot of customers are going out trying to find inventory that's just not available anywhere on the planet anymore. So a lot of people are kind of sitting back waiting for the lead times to catch up, but the demand's still strong. I mean, if you look in every sector um, from automotive, you know, to you mentioned AI and sensor mm -hmm. technology and so forth, People are still building, but they are sitting on way too much working capital that is doing nothing for them. And you were talking about carrying inventory. I mean, we're, we're talking to customers who've got 200 days worth of inventory, and that's unheard of. Oh, my God. That is. So on the um, uh, the supply side, is that improving? Do they see, you, know, you mentioned the demand is still strong. How are the, uh, the component manufacturers? Is, do you see supply increasing and improving? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're seeing, you know, um, for sure. And that's one of the problems, too, because a lot of the customers that do have slow moving or sludge inventory, you know, they paid at the top of the market after two or three price increases from the manufacturer. So they may have paid five dollars for that part in the open market. And now all of a sudden a franchise distributor is sitting on 60,000 pieces at a dollar cheaper. So that's causing a bit of, you know, disruption, too, because nobody's moving the product. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly right. So how is that then? Uh, is it in particular pockets? Are there certain parts of the supply chain that are performing better than others? Obviously, the chips are the ones, the semiconductors, the things, right? The active parts get all the attention, obviously. But uh, how do you view that? Yeah, it's, it's it's been interesting. It does get all the attention. You know, we've seen uh, an increase in requirements for passive products of late. Um, connectors have been in and out of trouble. Um, you know, all the big named, um, you know, brands there, you know, Molex, Phoenix, you know, TE, they've all had, um, you know, they fixed it. It's gotten worse again. Right. So <clears throat> we're seeing those uh, those other commodities be affected as well. Nothing that I would say is like, you know, catastrophic year, you know, 52 week lead time. But definitely we went through a, a strong push of, you know, where semiconductors dominated some of our activity. Um, the last five to six months, I've definitely seen the other commodities come back into the fray where we're seeing more daily activity for connectors and, and you know, caps and resistors and those types of products. Okay, that's good. Now, actually, I was just thinking you had mentioned at the beginning that you've recently hired salespeople. You know, one of the big issues throughout the around the globe, it seems to be, is labor force. How was it finding people for you? Was it was it how yeah, was that? Sourcing? Just, yeah. um, you know, so. You know, John and I, you know, we've done, you know, so many Zoom calls over the past few years. 
um, talking to, to different customers. And, you know, our biggest problem was we were too small to support our, you know, the growth in the industry and, you know, trying to hire people because of COVID and, you know, people want to work from home and, you know, different uh, restraints that we had. So one of the things that we've decided is we want to scale what we do better. So we've hired in-house recruiting, in-house HR. We bought a new building, moved our warehouse to that building with our test facility, blew up the whole warehouse into additional uh, sales you know, uh, force. So right now we're hiring uh, as fast as we can find people. Um, we've got the account base. We are you know, probably trying to work on leadership so that we're making sure we hire people and train them and give them the best opportunity to succeed. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely um, we were too small uh, to support the demand we had. And so we we're very cautious on what customers we sold to to make sure we protected our working capital. But now we are seeing a shift where people are coming back to work. You know, we offer a really competitive salary. We do training, vacation, 401k, et cetera. I don't want to give you the commercial, but it's getting better now, um, you know, since COVID's kind of eased up and it seems like people are starting to come back into the workforce. Yeah, I would add to it as well, Eric, right? We've we've been on the trail very aggressively all this year in terms of adding staff. And um, I would say over the last six months, it seems like we're getting a better quality candidate. Um, I think some of that comes down to our in-house recruiters really do a nice job of, you know, getting our name out there and, um, you know, getting some positive reviews, you know, from, uh, you know, from people that are on board and, and have come into the business. Um, so I, so I see us being a pretty desirable place to work and, um, you know, we're, we're very open to people that maybe have sold another, uh, professions, right. Who want a career change. Um, Florida is still a destination. So we get people moving from other parts of the country <clears throat> and the area where we are, where the office is just a little North of here seems to be a landing spot for a lot of people. So we get, you know, pretty interesting melting pot and it's, it only seems like it's getting better of late as, as yeah. the shorter version of that. So we're, we're pretty excited and bullish. Um, we just had another group of six <clears throat> start just this week. You know, we already have some teams set up to start in January. So we're continuing to, to chase it so that we can service the customers in the market. And just to be clear too, John McKay, when you said that you're, you were too small to serve it, you meant as far as the team was too small uh, from a, from a human side. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're growing a hundred million dollars year over year and it was um, you know, John and I like to, you know, talk about our sweet spot was really the mid tier customer. And all of a sudden we had these name brands coming in saying, Hey, we want to engage with you. We want to do bonded inventory programs to protect a surety of supply chain. And they were basically saying, okay, we're going to do the contract manufacturer's job. We want you to hold all this inventory. We want them to deplete the market. And then we're going to have you start selling to them and or shipping to them. So, um, but we weren't prepared for how fast the industry grew from every area. I mean, we, we moved quickly. I, you know, take my hat off to John and our CFO um, on ability to manage the working capital and deal with customers and explain the need even to pay in advance for some of these parts, because we wanted to you know, protect our regular customers with these onboard, these new customers that came in, because you know they're probably not gonna be here after the market shifts. So we wanna make sure we protect our, our core base. But um, we know that you know we've got a, a long way to go, meaning up, but we have to have the right personnel. We just don't want to throw people at the job. We want to make sure they're trained correctly and you know can you know represent freedom accordingly. 
Yeah, and I think the good news is, right, we, we've always been a company that's tried to promote from within. So we were able to take one of our sales managers, promote him to a director, and he uh, has been driving our training program, um, very consistent way of onboarding, you know, just been a, a general improvement for us. And I think it's helping our retention rates, right? And people really feel uh, engaged, um, you know, because they're getting daily training and then go and try to apply it and, you know, work with customers very early in the process. So, you know, we're, we're always trying to improve it, but I, I think we're we're definitely in a better spot than we were, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, because we, we've tried to take the steps to really make that a priority. And, you know, when we were talking before we started the interview about the AI and we fed it a bit, your comment was that you're less so on the tools, more so on the human interaction, make sure it's still kind of a personal business and having those relationships. So you see that as really as, as a strong part of your value proposition as well. I, re I really do. Again, I, I I visit customers pretty regularly and, and just saw a bunch last week and I said almost a dozen you know, we get high marks all the time, right? For for our customer service, for our responsiveness, um, and and I get it. AI can drive some of that too, and at some point we'll we'll have that in our business as well. But I think for now, um, we still can scale uh, the human element uh, better and really get a lot of positive responses from the customer base. You know, people at the end of the day still buy from who they like and who they trust, right? John and I hit that saying all the time. And it, it's, you know, when you get out and see people, again, you're still buyers there, you know, they're trying to figure out how to do their job, who who can they work with to make it easier, to make it go smoother. Um, and when you really have that real personal customer service, flexible touch, we we just think it's a winning recipe. So we're, we're, we're going to stay there for a while while we bolt on some of the AI stuff over time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I was in, again, during the European trip earlier this year, many of these EMS commented about on the technology that they really, the importance of their purchasing people, not so much the tools. They said, these are the people who have the experience. These are the people who have the relationships. And when things get tough, they know how to negotiate and leverage, right? And they figure yeah. that, they, that can happen better than a tool can necessarily do it. So, you know, it, it's interesting. We, we had some customers, some very large OEMs that maybe found us a little faster because of the market the last couple of years. And what we found is some of them really appreciated that, you know, came and visited us early in the process. They wanted to know who they were dealing with, not just from a quality audit standpoint, but look us in the eye and say, hey, we're a business that's having some troubles. <clears throat> we need help. And, you know, what can you do? What, you know, what are the services you provide? And we're really open to brainstorming and, you know, John and I would go visit the sites and, you know, try to talk to their teams about, you know, what worked for them and, you know, how could we, you know, bolt on to, again, what were they trying to do? Not just the way Freedom wanted to sell to them, but really what did they want to buy from us and how could we support that effort? So, you know, it, it's it's a nuanced thing there, but it, I, I think, you know, for us, it's really important that if you understand what they're really looking to do, um, again, we're not gonna, we're not as big as some of the big franchise guys out there, <clears throat> but we can really provide a lot of services. We have enough uh, size in our business to do that. And when you're listening to what they really care about, right, it's a good recipe. Yep. Hey, and uh, as we, you know, we got we just started fourth quarter here, um, right, end of the year. People are, you know, what's your crystal ball say? How, what, how do you think this is going to play out the rest of the year? Well, you know, it's funny. I've been traveling a lot too, seeing some customers and, you know, you were talking about, you know, 
why do people come to you? And, you know, even mm -hmm. during allocation, you know, customers would call, mm -hmm. you know, they'd be screened five times through our uh, admins. And all of a sudden I'd grab the phone and I'm on the phone, they're like, hey, I was trying to get a hold of you. You know, I used to deal with you in sales back in 2003 or 2008. And we're looking for this part. So, you know, we've got these relationship with the customers and invariably every single one of them says the same thing. Um, we, it's probably going to take about a year to catch up, meaning bleed off this inventory and, you know, start re-engaging. I, I, I think we're, I think we're going to see it stable like this market. So probably, you know, sometime in Q2 next year. And I think you're going to start to see it ramping up. Um, almost everybody I talk to says the demand's still strong. And if the demand's strong, then we're good. And so I really think you're going to see almost a not a repeat of last year, but you're going to see another strong 25. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the message I'm hearing too. Is that a lot of customers are kind of leapfrogging 24 as a year that that'll be a cleanup year, right? In 25, they're really expecting some good things. I think everybody's super nervous, Eric, about um, the pendulum swing, right? They they lean manufacturing was pre-COVID. You know, everybody was like, oh, you know, that created a huge problem, Greg, because there was no inventory in the channel. Um, and now there's a ton of inventory and and it's going to force a lot of customers to sit on the sideline and try to, you know, eat that inventory down. And they may get caught, right? Because <clears throat> I don't think we'll have wholesale delivery issues like we've had the last couple of years. <clears throat> but I think it'll be situation either by commodity or series of parts where all of a sudden they're going to go to rebuy and they're going to think it's 20 weeks and it's 48 weeks. Right. <clears throat> so I think there's going to be smattering of that over the next, I'll call it uh, five quarters, right. The, the end of this year and through 2024. Um, but uh, you know, I, I'm also expecting a little bit of a bump here at the end of the year, just because hey, companies are still trying to make revenue for Q4. You know, a lot of companies that's still a big push. Um, we're really <clears throat> reaching out to customers now, right? Trying to get ahead of it to see if we can, you know, maybe participate a little bit more aggressively, you know, and maybe even not only help them with <clears throat> inventory, but maybe, you know, now we're in a position where the costs have come back down a little bit and we can, you know, compete and give them some cost savings along the way, right? So um, we're hoping, knock on wood, that that's going to uh, happen here in Q4, but that, it's going to be uneven for sure for the next, you know, three, four quarters. Okay. I appreciate that. That's uh, it, it's good insight, and I think our audience appreciates that as well. Um, you know, I just want to say in closing, you guys, uh, it's been too long since we talked. I love your 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 insight, your touch in the market, and 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 what you're able to share. It's a great perspective, and so hopefully we can do this a little more frequently in the next year because it's excellent. No, that that's great. We we really appreciate the opportunity. You know, for a company like us who who continue, we're trying to grow. You know, we're expanding, you know, our footprint, our people, all that good stuff, right? It, it It's a it's a really good platform for us to kind of get the word out a little bit. And um, even, you know, some of the pre-chatter we had, right, talking about your perspective as you get out and touch a lot of customers as well. So Actually, I think I'm going to interview you because it seems like you have more experience at this than we do. <laughs> oh, Lord, no, I don't. No, I don't. Like, hey, John, I'm like you. I'm just a pretty face on these things, right? right. <laughs> nice. nice, Which, nice. With this John, right? Yeah. <laughs> John, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's yeah. be clear. Let's be clear. <laughs> I know who is the president. Listen, guys, this is excellent. Uh, appreciate it very much, but definitely let's do, uh, let's do this a little more frequently. Appreciate the updates. All right. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.